Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Maximize Your Influence. It's a great day, and this is episode 211 as we talk about the power of persuasion and influence and give you a few more tools to help you become more persuasive. And we have a great day today. We have a guest, Travis Truitt. He is going to help us out, help you become more persuasive. Travis, welcome. Kurt, I appreciate it. Happy to be on the show. Let's talk sales. Let's talk persuasion. Let's do it. Let me give you a brief bio here. Travis is a three-time entrepreneur and a passionate first responder to sales organizations struggling to get visibility and insight into team performance. Spent the last five years building Ambition.com, the first sales performance management platform built for the modern workforce, the first gamification platform endorsed by Google, Harvard Business Review, and the American Association of Inside Sales Professionals. Ambition currently helps industry-leading companies like UPS, Wayfair, Aerotech, and Service Source drive revenue while creating world-class business culture and operations. That's impressive. We're going to get some good information from you. We're going to ask you some of the tough questions. Of course, all the listeners know the first question of the day is you got to tell us right now, what is the worst vegetable on the planet and why? So I would actually say this is going to be an interesting answer. Even though I don't mind the taste of it, it's the after effect, which I'm not a fan of. And that's going to be asparagus. I actually, interestingly and boringly enough, I just did like one of those genetics tests uh, through 23andMe where you can map out all of your traits and characteristics and everything. And I literally came back with some kind of like genetic trigger that says that I can smell asparagus in my pee more than majority of people. And so uh, <laughs> I know it's crazy, but uh, that's go. I'm, I'm going to go with that answer. Steer clear the asparagus for the after effects. I like that. We can take that one. We'll put that on the list of worst vegetables on the planet as we Perfect. take a deep dive into here. So. I know your world is sales and systemication, gamification. Well, let's start off here. If you look at sales, sales professionals, people that persuade for a living, what is the biggest persuasion blunder right now? What do you see in that's really hurting people's ability to sell and persuade? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that I'll be the first to admit I fall victim to from time to time is I can definitely be excitable and passionate about what I'm doing and what ambition is doing and what we've built. And a lot of times it is getting passionate, not about the customer's problem and how you can solve it, but about what you've done and how, you know, not how amazing it is to be amazing, but just how for X, Y, and Z is able to do this, or we just launched a new feature that will be able to do this and take you to the next level and so on and so on. And I guess it's more of that product centric talk as opposed to more of the customer centric talk. And so I always catch myself and even my employees here catch me reverting to that. And so I think that that's something that both inexperienced and experienced people can fall victim to. And it's just, again, not putting the customer first in terms of what do they need? What are they telling you? And how can you solve that specific problem? Well said. And so how, how do we fix that? I mean, a lot of times we get excited about our product, the benefits, we get in vomit mode about us mode. We're not thinking about the customer. 
How have you trained yourself or others to get, okay, let's get in their shoes. Let's focus on them. Let's find out what they want versus here are the 22 reasons why this is important. It's a, it's a good question. It's a hard question. I think that being an active listener is such a cliche, but it is incredibly important and hard to do. And for myself, I have tried to you know focus in on that because I think that's a lot of times where it starts because obviously if you're not actively listening, then you really are not giving yourself a shot outside of a lucky guess to be able to address specifically what they're telling you they need. The basic stuff like being able to take notes, repeat things back to them, being able to follow up with the really good questions and kind of focusing on, you know, being like, okay, I'm going to let them talk and I'm going to ask a really good follow-up question. And the goal of that follow-up question is to get them to talk for another five minutes and then another one and another one and really be able to kind of help them, basically empower them to paint this picture for you. And so I think that's a big part of it. And then another part is just the over time, the reality of just saying, yeah, at the end of the day, people don't really care what it is that you have built. It's a famous Simon Sinek, like Ted talk of people ultimately care about the why and not the what. And so if you're focusing all of your time talking about the what, which somewhat is easier because that's the things that you can memorize and that's the things that you live and breathe every day. But instead, if you're able to turn that around and focus on the why, your why and the customer's why and aligning those incentives, then, you know, you're going to be more successful. And I think over time, as you get more experience, you can start to connect the dots between what worked and what didn't. And so, yeah, I guess from as tactical as active listening to just, you know, long term thinking more about the why and not the what. I think that that's uh, that's what's worked for me. And I think that's what's worked for other people around us. And so we're always we're always talking about those things specifically. So as you look at the world of, of sales and persuasion for the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years, what do you see as the biggest changes that people need to adapt to? So it's, it's funny. I'm actually, I've been training a new employee today. and We've been talking about just that. And so one of the things that I don't think a lot of people realize is that the employees entering the workforce today, so they've just graduated college and they're starting their first day on the job. They literally do not know a world without Google. Like, like their entire lifetime has basically been real-time, omnipotent access to information, whereas millennials, myself being one as a 31-year-old, over the last 10 years, we've started to come into the workforce. Our demographic, the millennial demographic, became the largest workforce segment in 2015. We have different expectations in terms of what we're looking for, in terms of how we grew up. The gym chart turned into Fitbit for us. Tutors turned into Linda for us. The library turned into Google. That's important for us millennials, but then also we're a little bit more of kind of the analog to digital generation and that we can still kind of remember what it was like to not have some of these things. The people that are in the workforce today and some of these more digital natives, they don't have that analog insight. I mean, they, they truly are at odds with like the people that are running companies today and the way that a lot of company process looks like, they're at odds with that. They just, it's like, what do you mean I need to wait until the end of the week for this report to run? Or what do you mean my progress is more political than, you know, meritocratic? And just all of these things that I think are starting to bubble up and are starting to become more and more important. And so with ambition, that's something we think about all the time is with this new influx of millennials and digital natives that have Google as this inflection point, how do companies prepare for that and how do companies modernize in a way where if you don't, then you're going to, you know, you're going to lose and miss out on a big part of this workforce. And so 
again, that's uh, when I think about the, the last 10 years, I think that's one of the biggest changes that I think we're still just starting to come to grips with. I'd be curious even to get your opinion on that, Kurt. Well, I agree. I mean, we have the younger generation. We have the access to information, which changes everything, right? If it's on Google, it must be true. I know yep. I've trained medical doctors to where they get frustrated spending 12 years in school, and then all of a sudden they don't like what the doctor said, and they Google it and find somebody who has no education but has found this great solution. So that's a challenge. I, I notice that trust is an all-time low. That's a challenge. People are very skeptical now. I think 20 years ago it used to be, I trust you, give me a reason uh, not to now, and, and now it's I don't trust you, give me a reason to trust you, are definitely some things out there, and I think we're also bombarded, I think Advertising Age Magazine said we're bombarded with over 5,000 persuasive messages a day, right, just everywhere, we become numb to it and have to break through that clutter, so yep. and that people need to adapt, and so let me ask you this question, as we, we talk about millennials, I know this is really interesting to, I guess we call it the older generation, they, they get frustrated sometimes trying to lead or manage or even persuade a millennial, what are the couple things that people need to know that's different to persuade a millennial versus someone who's been in the workforce for 20, 30 years? I think it's a great question again, and I think I actually go back to something that Reid Hoffman of LinkedIn, the founder and ex-CEO of LinkedIn, talks about a lot. And it's this notion of how the employer-employee contract is changing, and it's going from more of the old world, which is come in and – you're going to work here maybe for your entire life and we're going to give you security and we're going to give you a paycheck and that's what you get from us and then we expect work and loyalty and trust and all this and that's what we're going to get from you. It's almost like a set it and forget it type thing. I think in this new age, and I think there's a lot of factors that have kind of created this, I think it is much more dynamic and obviously short term than that, especially when you look at the early numbers that are showing how much more prone to moving positions both laterally and upward. And I think that one of the things that a lot of these people have to realize is that for better or for worse, unfortunately, there is less of that trust and less of that loyalty. It is basically saying, hey, you know, the employee is coming in and saying, I plan on being here for a couple of years to learn skills and to be coached and trained. And then I'm probably going to take my experience and take it somewhere else. Maybe it is just to a competitor down the street Maybe it is to a brand new company and industry halfway across the world, but like that's the way that I'm thinking about things. And so I think that there has to just be that understanding and there almost has to be this new contract of it's less now about security and loyalty and it's more about an employer being able to tell an employee, hey, the next two to three years, however long it ends up being, I'm going to make you more marketable and I'm going to focus on building out your resume for whatever's next, which is kind of like an unheard of thing to ever say in, you know, in previous life. And then the, and then, you know, what I want from you, the employee is I want dedication and I want you to work really, really hard and be really, really productive and challenge the status quo. Like if there's things that we are, are doing that you don't think is necessarily optimized because of how adept you are with technology, let us know. And like, let's work together on that. And so I think that that's something that, again, is still being figured out, but it's this whole notion of like a tour of duty as opposed to like a lifelong commitment. And I think that that is where with older managers thinking through that and basically just saying, okay, if that is the context, what can I, what, what can I do to embrace that as much as I can? I think that that ends up obviously helping a lot more than hurting. And I think that that's how you get these millennial employees 
these millennial employees will not only have more more long-term buy-in, but I think it just kind of sets things off on the right foot to actually get what you want out of them, which is obviously coming in and being productive because I think there's been several studies that have shown that millennials, they're not afraid to work. They'll come in and work incredibly hard and incredibly smart. It's just, again, aligning those incentives and making them feel like they're not just trapped somewhere for 30 years and they're just going to be forgotten about because they've got to put in their time first. Millennials, I don't think really like or grasp this whole concept of putting in your time when they say, well, hey, if I can do the job and if I can get the results, why can't I just go to the next level? So a little long-winded, but that's kind of how I think about that. Uh, It's interesting. I think that's good information for people to understand that when you look at the workplace and a big part of persuasion is adapting and persuading people how they want to be persuaded, whether they be a millennial or older in the workforce or a personality type or culture or department, I think that's very good to know. I hope, listeners, you took note of that, but that's important to, to adapt. It doesn't matter if you understand it, you believe in it. You have to persuade people how they want to be persuaded, and those are some good points there. So let's switch gears a little bit and, and talk about something interesting that's a new word out there called gamification. So tell us, first of all, what is gamification, and how does it help us become more persuasive? Yeah, running ambition, which is, which is very much a – gamification is a big part and aspect of what we do – I think about this all the time. Gamification to me, if you actually like strip away all the different layers and you get to the why of it, basically being able to take a process, I guess, and make it more engaging and more fun. And I think what's been happening in the workforce is as you've been having these employees that are coming in that, again, especially when you look at these Generation X millennials, digital natives that are used to growing up with video games or Google or any of these things that are kind of interactive with this real-time feedback, whether it's information or a new level in Mario, it's this notion of, wow, I did something and it was a challenge and I was rewarded for this challenge and it, and it happened and I feel good about this process, even if the process was really hard. And so I think that what's starting to happen in the workforce is they're starting to kind of you know this, be this enlightenment of you know gamification when used correctly and used as a tool and not as a silver bullet can be incredibly effective at being able to drive employee behavior and enable to drive employee process. And so I think like most things, there's a, there's a hype cycle. And I think that if you rewind six, seven, eight years ago, there was this initial hype cycle of, oh, gamification is all we have to do is just slap badges on a company's process board and employees are going to eat it up and they're going to be 10 times more productive and 10 times happier. And Maybe we can even pay them less. Like that's not realistic. That's not that's not gamification. That's just you know trying to. That's almost like gimmick gimmickification. And so I think that that was kind of the top of the hype, and then it's kind of come down. And then kind of over the last several years, it's been okay. Well, let's have like a TV leaderboard, or let's create this little competition engine, and and that's gamification. And I think that's kind of it starting to build back up to what we're doing at Ambition and and what. I think is the eventuality of this as gamification really starts to hit the market and hit maturities is this notion of saying, listen, we can take your processes, we can make them more engaging, more fun, and we can make them, they can be challenging, but challenging with kind of that more real-time reward. And so, yeah, I think of it ultimately as an employee being able to join a company. Think of it as literally joining a company and you're at level zero. And in order to get to level one, here's exactly what it takes. And level two, here's exactly what it takes. And it's going to get a little bit harder. 
and level three, here's exactly what it takes. And like, again, it's kind of just mapping out knowing that, you know, knowing that life and knowing that work isn't black and white, there's certainly gray area. There's some things that are just intangibles. But with all that being said, being able to more and more map out an organization, map out a career progression where an employee in this millennial has, they have control, they can actually see their success and they can see that it is maybe less political and more of a meritocracy. I think that that's kind of the ultimate vision of gamification and that's what people are getting excited about, even if it's kind of under this guise of a TV leaderboard, which is which is kind of, to me, the start but not the finish. That's not, at the end of the day, that's not going to get you these amazing results. That's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. I like how it's more engaging, more fun. I mean, any, any human wants their job to be more engaging, more fun, and it's mapped out as far as the rewards are concerned. Let me ask you this. Where does gamification backfire? There's a point to where it's maybe you're asking too much, it's overwhelming, or the low producers say, well, only the top producers are going to get that reward. Where does gamification backfire to the point where it's hurting more than it's helping? Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, we see that a lot. I think, number one, it's a mentality of people understanding that gamification, as I mentioned earlier, it's not a silver bullet. Gamification is a tool just like coaching is a tool and goals are a tool and, you know, being able to build scorecards around activities and objectives. Like that's a tool. Like all of these things have to kind of work in tandem. So just thinking that you are going to buy a gamification solution and turn it on, expect your employees just to constantly work within these competitions and be successful. Like that's not realistic. And so I think that's number one. Number two, from the backfire standpoint is kind of what you're saying is, that leaderboard or that little one-off spiff, typically that's just incentivizing that top performer. And everybody else is kind of saying, well, Susan wins every time. She's already out on the lead. What do I care? And so it's not thinking about the competitions or the gamification, sometimes like a holistic enough approach or a team-based approach. Just being able to shift from individual competitions to team makes a big difference. And we've been able to see that. That's one of the big things that Harvard Business Review talked about when they did a big profile on us. And so I think that's kind of one of the, the areas where, you know, you're not going to see the results that you wanted to see. I think also there's this whole notion of like, you do have this engagement flow. You don't want things to be too challenging and you don't want things to be too easy. When it's too easy, it's boring. And when it's too challenging, it's frustrating. Whether that is a competition or whether that is like a progression path to get to the next promotion or anything in between, I think that that is, that's kind of also one of those things where, if you just tell your employees, hey, we need to do 300% X or, you know, I need you to do personally double what you did last quarter or last year, it's kind of just saying, okay, well, typically speaking, it's going to be frustrating. It's going to say, what are you talking about? Like, you can't just give me a, you can't put me in a competition, tell me to do double and and say, go. Like, that's not, that's not real. And again, the same thing. And rarely is this the case within companies, but you can't make it too easy either. And so again, I think it's, it's the, it's the mentality piece. It is thinking more around like being able to teamify things and be able to get more people involved for a common goal to make it more sustainable and make it to where it can drive more of that middle 70% instead of just your top performers. And then I think it's just a, a, a matter of, again, owning that kind of that engagement of you're really doing nobody any good when you just set frustratingly hard goals that um, – you know, employees a lot of times more often than not can sniff out as just saying, yeah, that's not, you know, that's not even a real thing. Nobody else is going to hit it. So why do I care? Well said. I like that, how that brings that all together. 
as we talk about gamification and a few other things. But let me ask you this. What's the one thing I missed? What, what is the thing you really want to tell our listeners that can really help them to become uh, more persuasive, more influential? Yeah, good question there. It's a cliche, but I, I have all of our new – not a cliche per se, but I have all of our new employees on their first day, whether they've seen it a thousand times or not, watch Simon Sinek's TED Talk on how great leaders inspire action because he talks about how people don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And people buy the why and not the how or the what. And I think that the one of the greatest examples of that of all time is Apple and talking about challenging the status quo and how they think differently and how that makes you feel versus the fact that they have a laptop with a A5 processor that can do this, this, and this. And so I think that just in general in life, both personally and professionally, the more that you can align your message with what you believe – and why you do what you do, I think that that is one of the most important and most powerful things you can do. And so I, I remind myself of that every month, literally on my calendar, all of our new employees kind of go through the same spiel. And so maybe it's a cliche, maybe not. That's uh, one of the most important things you can do and, and, and remind yourself of. Well said. Thanks for the great information today. We've learned a lot of great things. So let me ask you this. Where can our listeners find out more about you and ambition and how you can help them? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, definitely check out ambition.com. From there, you can learn more about gamification and just our overall platform in terms of us being more of a sales performance management solution for the modern workforce and the modern company. Myself, I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, obviously. Feel free to ping me. I'd be happy to answer questions or help as I can. If you're going to be at Dreamforce in 2017, so a couple of weeks away, definitely reach out. You know, always looking forward to to meeting people on the road and as I travel. So uh, maybe we can make something work there. But yeah, that's about it for me, Kurt. Really appreciate your time and your insight, Travis. Thank you for that. And hopefully listeners, you took great notes and really understand gamification and the things that we talked about today. Get a few more tools and master these skills and go out and persuade with power. 